Johnny Ray, I got a question for you. I got two questions for you. I always want to ask everybody here. Um, it's hard to segue into these, so I'll start with the less intrusive one first. But just um, get in there. Have you ever been to Egypt? No, uh, I would. I can't wait to go. I've been to two other of the seven wonders of the world. Have um, you really? Yeah, I've been to Chichen Itza um, in the Yucatan oh, yeah. Peninsula, and yeah. which is absolutely amazing. And I just got back from Machu Picchu. Uh, really? Ago. Yeah. The hidden city. What did you think about it? It was absolutely astounding. Um, I found out that it's hidden partly because of the way the Spanish, uh, uh, probably by the way the Spanish colonized, um, mm. they killed all the, this is a phrase I'm making up, the Incan nobles, because I guess they had a hierarchy that I don't fully expl- it, like understand how it works, but... Mm. The higher ups in the Incan civilization are the ones that stayed at Machu Picchu, um, right? And the people, the the non nobles, quote unquote, they didn't know where Machu Picchu was. They weren't allowed right. to know. So when the Spanish came through, they killed all the Incan nobles, which is why it was called the Hidden City. Because after everybody was 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 murdered, they didn't. Nobody else knew how to get up there. Yeah, they couldn't find it. <laughs> they forever. couldn't find it. So I think Which they found it for because... the first time in 1918 or 1911, right. something like that. Uh, right. So. Which is insane. But, you know, the stones that they – this is a sort of a pet interest of mine. But, you know, the stones that they quarried up there. You went up there. I've never been there. But some of these stones are of a scale and of a size that is almost incomprehensible. And It they, really is, though. That's, and they brought some of these things hundreds of miles away and dragged them up that fucking mountain. I have no idea how they got them up there. Um, if anything, the the thing that it felt like uh, climbing up there, because um, we we hiked the uh, Salcante Trail, me and five friends of mine. Um, mm. We did about 55 miles to get all the way up to uh, Machu Picchu. Um, wow. It really felt like... Sam and Frodo going up the stairs to Mordor. You know I love my Lord of the Rings references. Thank yes, you, no, I, and that and it's a very apt one. <laughs> trust me, it's it's mm. some of the trails are so incredibly narrow. Um, you look at the and it's like right in the middle of the side of a mountain, and you're like, how mm. did they get? How did this transpire? Um, yeah. So what it's, do you think? It's inspirational. Me, I have. I, I think they were just they knew the terrain. They were ingenious and. Uh, I don't know what the planet was looking like, or at least that area was looking like uh, at the at the time of, you know, uh, the Incan civilization. Uh, but you know, it's just for me, it, it was just inspirational, um, and it kind mm. of, you know, you walk up on it, and the first thing I thought was, there's no reason I should ever doubt myself about anything that I can mm. accomplish if other human mm. beings with less means can accomplish something as fantastic as this, and it's on top That's of a, a mountain. Perspective. Yeah, it's on top of a mountain that's surrounded by five other mountains. So mm. it really it it's it's it, it's really mind boggling. And the only thing that comes close to being as beautiful or as epic that I've seen uh, thus far in my life is the is totality during the solar eclipse. Mm. Um, yeah, that was and, spectacular. And the difference between those two is that. One of them's man-made, so so that kind of mm. puts it in perspective. In perspective, mm-hmm. it kind of competes with the sun and the moon having a having a um, a love session. You know, Lake Titicaca is near there. John, and, watch um, your language. <laughs> and in Lake Titicaca, there is an ancient people that can we just call it Lake Titty? Just 
just like, takes <laughs> just, just, once, just once just uh, once <laughs> my my okay, family's sorry, back guys. my father was from greece like the country greece you know he he was an illegal immigrant from Greece. He, he came over here. He was on the Merchant Marines, and he came to Jersey, and he was like, oh, fuck this. I'm definitely staying here. Never went back to Greece. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, back in the 70s when he left, like, people were getting just killed on the street in Greece. It was a real nightmare. But um, anyway, I always my background is Greek, so I always joke. They have these names like Papadopoulos and stuff, but one of them is like uh, Crapapoopoulos and Titticoculus, <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, in Lake Titicaca, they had these people that were supposedly fleeing oppression. I think it was even before the Spanish had gotten there. And what they did is they, they were pushed to the banks of Lake Titicaca, and they started to fashion boats out of these hollow reeds that were there. Hmm. And they went out in the middle of the, the river, the lake, rather, which is gigantic. This is, like, not some normal little lake. And as these people's boats started to join up, they actually made floating cities out there where hundreds of people lived, inaccessible to anybody else, on this man-made island of reeds. And there are still people there to this day, native people that live on islands made of reeds in Lake Titicaca. No way. They grow crops on them. They have dirt on them. It's really unbelievable. That's incredible. it's really unbelievable. Um, People are the amazing. other. Yeah, the reason I bring all this stuff up is I'm fascinated by ancient stuff, and it's a great way to segue into sort of your more metaphysical beliefs. Right. And I know a lot of people are slightly uncomfortable talking about this, but what's your sort of cosmology or what's your concept of the of the not physical world? If you um, have one, maybe you don't have one. Um. I've always said that I, I mean I grew up I grew up Christian um, mm. I grew up Baptist um, I it was that was a tradition for me that was hard um, because mm-hmm. of knowing history I asked a lot of questions that people honestly couldn't answer um, right and still can't answer but as I've gone through life I think you have to be comfortable I think you have to be comfortable saying you don't know. Um, mm. I think there's a there's a piece in that. Um, I think too many times people are so uh, doggish on wanting to be completely 100% certain about something. There's really no way you can be completely 100% certain about. Right. Um, so for me, do I think that there is something else out there? Yes. I'm not sure how it, uh, it uh, manifests itself. I would imagine something that's all good, which is what I hope uh, that thing is, uh, mm. would decide to manifest itself differently to different people. Um, mm. The same way you can't reach everybody to be their best self with the same psychology or the same mental health program or the same shot doctor. <laughs> um, right. If you're trying to help somebody with a basketball shot, I don't mm. think that an all good, uh, loving uh, entity would penalize people for having to reach them in different ways especially if they created that uh, mm-hmm. if they also then created that person it seems kind of unfair uh, right. but like I said I don't know I guess uh, have you ever had we'll any experiences happens. with the supernatural yes I have when I was I, I've, I've always I've you can ask my the mom about this for John no mm-hmm. I've, yes I've I've seen I, I, I've, I fully believe I saw alien when I was uh, whoa I think 11 or 10 or 11 um, Please tell us about this. 
If you're comfortable with it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. I was, I was at my old house. I was up late. I've always been a night owl. Um, my mom had just separated our bunk beds. Um, so my sister was asleep in the bed off to my left and my bed kind of sat behind the door. Like if you closed it, the bed would, you know, be parallel or if you opened it, it would be parallel to, um, the foot of my bed. And I was reading and I looked up and there was a hand like, or like an arm. Uh, it was like a neon color. It was shining and it was coming. It was pulling itself away from, uh, like from the door. Like it was, it was going back behind the door. And so it was going through the door. Yeah, and like back behind it. Like it wasn't like mm. through the door. It was like gotcha. if you saw the door and then the hand was like out front of it. Like I had just missed it walking past. Yeah. Um, wow. And I put the covers up over my head. I was scared as hell. And then I put it back down. I went and looked. There was nobody there. My mom and dad were asleep in the next room. Everybody was asleep. Um, and it's something I've never been able to explain. But I do know that this is a very complex, amazing world that we don't fully know everything that's transpiring i mean hell like right 300 years ago they were killing people for saying the earth was flat <laughs> mm. and hey it's uh, making a resurgence it ago. is <laughs> uh, and also yeah and you know um also you know people didn't you know uh, uh people didn't think flying was something that could transpire you know i always think mm. back if you know we went back with some of the things that we know now and went back a thousand years from now and showed people stuff uh It'd be crazy. So, but yeah, but do I think we're alone in the in the universe? Absolutely not. I actually well, you wish said I could be here for that. I actually wish I could be here for if aliens make uh, contact because I think it would be very interesting to see how humanity wrestles with that because none of our cosmologies say that that exists. Like, like for example, right. if you take Jesus, for example, did Jesus mm. die on the cross for the Martian sins too? Mm. Very interesting how that would how that would work. Um, mm-hmm. So I would just want to see the world deal with that. I, I wonder would it bring us closer together? Um, would we become le- like a, like an Earth as opposed to a planet of nations? Like so, I just I just the science fiction fan in me would love to just see how actual humans would mm-hmm. respond to to that. I mean, if the aliens came down peacefully, because if they didn't, we're gonna have some serious problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that they're, I mean, well, they've discovered telltale signatures of quote unquote alien life form, like microbes, you know, in right. in rocks from outer space. So we're pretty confident. They haven't said definitively, yes, these, this is alien life form, but there are definitely signs that we've seen stuff. And for the last 50 years, we've been beaming out signals to try to reach alien life forms. Um so you you feel pretty confident that there's intelligent life out there? Yeah, I'm pretty confident about that. I mean, would you make an attempt of some kind if you if somebody you met say like in some esoteric bookstore in LA tells you that he has a way to channel extraterrestrials? Would you engage in something like this? Yes. It's 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 a catch twenty two though because there's a lot of snake salesmen out there. So I'd have mm-hmm. to if I if if there was a scenario where it was a 100% genuine situation where somebody right. showed up and said, hey, if you go through this door, you know, I don't know, I'll out Lion Witch in the Wardrobe and there's an alternate dimension, would yeah. I be like, no? I'd be like, fuck yes. Right. <laughs> Let's check this out. I would want to see it immediately. Um, I know that's one of the um, 
you know, I kind of, one of my favorite series, book series growing up was Animorphs. Oh, I loved those. And uh, I, I'll never forget, I've read the series probably seven times. Oh, um, wow. uh, but I remember when, you know, those kids are walking through, walking from the mall and walking through that abandoned construction site. And then all of a sudden this star comes down to, and see a ship or what mm-hmm. have you. That's going to happen to somebody. Maybe it has already happened to somebody. Mm-hmm. Seeing something yeah. like that would be absolutely astounding in the same way it's astounding to me to watch killer whales on TV, to sure. watch sperm whales, to see, you know, like, I remember one time somebody told me they went to Antarctica on a ship for a vacation. Seeing something like that, I think you just, regardless of, you know, the context in which it comes, it's it's a blessing. And you're seeing, like, when I was at Machu Picchu, I'm like, I'm seeing one of the rare things the right. vast majority of the people on this planet are not going to ever see anything like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I got to see something otherworldly, literally, uh, I'd be game. I'd be like, uh, it would, yeah, yeah. I, I, I talk to a lot of religious people. You know, the tradition down here, and, uh, you know, I'm in the South, and it's a, definitely steeped in Christianity, right? There's a church yeah. on every other block. And I always wonder about this. You know, if people did have... I sort of suspect this is why Christian people are afraid of psychedelic drugs um, because you can't control the message. You know, if somebody had an encounter, say they're laying in bed, say my dad's laying in bed and the spirit of Muhammad comes to him and says, hey, you've been misled by all this Jesus stuff. This is the true story. Or if Buddha showed it, whatever it is, they have an escape valve that they could pull and just say, you know, that's a demon deceiving me or that's the devil you know, distort. And I, there is a little bit of apprehension about, say you had pulled that door back and instead of a green, a little green man, it was a messenger from X religion, whatever that is. Right. You know, how do you, how do we reconcile this stuff? Mm. I knew growing up, I went to Christian high school and I knew one of the teachers there, his wife, was a schizophrenic and she would occasionally stop making taking her medicine and would have powerful and dark visions and he this guy and i were friends he was my teacher but he and i would we were buddies you know we talked and stuff and he was really conflicted about this because she didn't want to go back on the medicine because she was conversing with angels she thought Mm. and he wanted to put her back on the medicine because she was out of her fucking mind he thought you know, it is this really strange push and pull. If you had some of the prophets from any of these ancient religions alive today, and possibly we do, they are alive today, we would instantly medicate them. They just have their own TV show now. Well, <laughs> or, or give them a TV show. <laughs> yeah. I was reading this crazy book that I was telling John about. This this young skeptic, a Greek guy. So I know John will actually like it. Look um, at Can't trust those no, but, Greeks, though. He, he, this young skeptic, um, decided to go to India and he had been studying yoga and all these other things, um, really deeply for a long time. He, he was, he was doing a lot of studying and training kind of at this Greek monastery and he was finding a lot of peace and really enjoying it. But he was like, I want to give everybody a fair shot. He's like, I'm really interested in Hinduism. I'm going to go to the 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 sort of the holy land of hinduism i'm going to study this thing firsthand i'm going to compare them i'm going to give it the same um you know shot that i gave christianity and what's interesting and this is not a comment 
on the religion itself. But what's interesting is hearing this guy talk about all these things that happened, you know, he's coming at it from a very materialistic standpoint, but he describes things and other people that he's with kind of validate them because he goes to see this, um, this uh, guru named Babaji who is worshipped by his followers as a god on earth. Like, and he basically he showed up in front of this cave and these villagers found him and he meditated. This is a legend at least. This is back in the 70s. He, mm. he meditated for 40 days and 45 days without getting up from his seat. He meditated. This is what people say. And then he, and then he opened his eyes one day and they said, who are you? And he said, I am Babaji, which is like this legend in Hinduism of this great yogi who basically inhabits, he comes and reveals himself every once in a while in sort of this form. But anyway, so he goes to this young guy goes to India to find a spiritual experience. And of course, while he's there, he happens to run into all these people who have had encounters with Babaji, which like he hasn't been seen in many, many years, you know, that kind of thing. And so they go to this ashram up in the, like, you know, many miles up into the Himalayas. And he says at one point, so this guy shows up, he's like 35 and um, the, the, the guru that is, he says, that one, and this is the guy narrating um, who had this experience. At that point, something strange happened to me, which suddenly reminded me of my experiences under hypnosis because he's done a lot of stuff with hypnosis and white magic and all this stuff. Suddenly, while I was watching him come down the stairs, I lost consciousness for an indeterminate period of time. I was standing there, but my mind and self-consciousness had been seized and taken somewhere else. I was not aware of my body or my thoughts. For a moment, it was as though I no longer existed. Even now, there remains a startling, empty space in my memory about what happened to me during those few seconds, or were they minutes, during which my very existence seems to have dissolved away. When he came about within 15 feet of where I was standing, I shuddered with apprehension and broke into a cold sweat. I was taken back by his features, which were somehow not quite human. Of course, this being in front of me had a human body and form, but there was nothing else human about him. It was clear that his soul was hardly human at all. I would have found it more credible and less shocking for someone to claim that he were a figment of my imagination or some extraterrestrial being. Everything about him was strangely alien, and his eyes were charged with a terrifying intensity and power. Now, keep in mind, hundreds, even thousands of people worship this guy. So, like, clearly not all of them are just making this up out of thin air, I would think. And then he says, although I was terror-struck and confused... I remained aware of my surroundings. Babaji was accompanied by four or five yogis with black fabric draped around their bodies and holding in their hands spears with tridents on the top to symbolize the god Shiva. One of them drew near me, looked me straight in the eye, and with a stern and imposing voice ordered, Take off your shoes and worship him. As he said that, his pupils became so unnaturally large that they eclipsed his iris, which now seemed to be entirely black. From my knowledge of witchcraft, I immediately recognize this as a ploy for achieving domination. He's filtering it through all of these different lenses and, like, all this kind of stuff. But, like, really, really weird stuff keeps happening that really makes the case that, like, this guy, Babaji, this guru, really does have power over people. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, yeah. really impossible to deny that, whether that power is supernatural or you know, some sort of technique that's learned is almost irrelevant because the power does exist, right. you know? And I think about that with like aliens. My question for you, Johnny was like, are you more likely to believe that you would have an encounter with an extraterrestrial or something from some sort of like a spiritual realm, you know? And 
Oh, wow. How do you uh, sort of reconcile those? I don't know. I'm just curious. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Which is also a perfectly fine answer as we When said. I was a kid. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I've had I've had very spirit I've had very prominent spiritual moments. I can think of two mm-hmm. um in general um where it felt like there was some kind of other force at work. Mm-hmm. Um one was just a completely random moment in church, I think when I was in high school, and then the other was what led me to go to temple in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. I think Temple I think, being the college you transferred to, not your conversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went there for right. yeah, I went yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to I went I went to um I was on the college tour. They used to do in my rights pass program they would do heritage tours. And mm. I went on one of the heritage tours and we were in Philadelphia. Um I forget what school we were gonna be going to, but you know, uh we met these girls and these girls told us that there was going to be this party on campus. And we were like, Oh snaps, we're going to hit this party up. We high schools, but we going through this temple thing. Ah, ah. Yeah, boy. Uh, so it's going to be lit. <laughs> and so we got there to what is you knows now, but or, I don't know if they changed the name, but it was a student center at the time. I remember I had my Portland starter jacket on cause starter jackets were real big at the time. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I had my back. I was, if you see any early pictures of me from high school, I was, I was definitely into the baggy, you know, uh, you know, you know, East Coast hip hop situation. Yeah. Like I had on yeah. some Tims and X, like four X sweatpants and the whole nine. <laughs> I used to wear. My mom used to hate this, but I would wear a towel around my neck. I, I, we would we would mm. steal the bath towels from uh, <laughs> from hotels, <laughs> like and, a little uh, sweat towel. Yeah, like, but I but see, I, I tried to take it. it to the next level. I had the whole bath towel situation, like it was, and it had oh. to be ice. It had to be ice white, and so I would wear it around my neck. You know, you have like a throwback jersey on. It, it was crazy because my mom would be like, "You look like you're about to go take a shower. Like, leave that." I love it. You can't take it that. It wasn't to like a hand towel. Nah, like some people had the hand <laughs> towels you leave out your back, out your back pocket. But I had the full like bath towel. And like I said, we were stealing from hotels. Like I looked really ridiculous. Like sometimes you know how people will take wife beaters and they'll tie them around their head. Right. I would do that with the I would do that with the towel where I would put the towel around my head and then use a rubber band and then let it like go down my back. So it's just you know dumb stuff you That's do amazing. as a kid. You think it's fresh and yeah. you look back and you're like, yeah, I look like I look like an idioto. Uh, but uh, I but ran yeah. into Method Man at the I ran into Method Man at the Newark Airport a couple of years ago and I, I got a picture with him. But he still dresses like this. Ah yes, he's like nah, fifty, man. but he looks nah. cool. You know, he could do that. <laughs> I mean, from I think like my mom used to say, you know, now I know now, like you have to kind of you gotta dress with with in a way that flatters your body. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that same regard, my mom used to tell me, and I know now, she said if I wear pants that are oversized, it makes my legs look smaller, and then I look shorter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like Timberland boots kind of come up past your ankle, and then now the short right. the pants are all bunched up. So. But that's one thing I know now because now I know fashion. So that's why I'm like, look, I got to make sure I keep the line streamlined on my leg, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, you just Johnny's gotta a very fashionable guy. Actually. Dress we, how uh, you. <laughs> we, 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 we borrowed some of your clothes for the movie. Yeah. So you just got to you just got to know what you do. Like, I'll be in the store and I'll be like, I can't I can't do that because I'm not six one. I'm not six two. Um, so mm-hmm. there's certain things that, you know, like I said, if you know, if you know the game, you can, you know, accentuate your best features. But anyway, mm-hmm. we we basically went into this temple situation. We thought it was going to be this big party, and it wound up being this like prayer group, like I don't know, like I don't know group situation. And so a little bait and mm-hmm. switch. 
Yeah, so they, so like, and so <laughs> with the, the rice and passes, yeah, with the rice and passes thing, they would, they gave us a lot of freedom. Like, I have another really crazy story on the Heritage Tour when I was in Boston and I wind up like, I was like a little Tommy Pickle. So I would just left the hotel okay. and just walked around Boston like at mm-hmm. like one o'clock in the morning and some wild stuff happened to me. But just that temple, like they dropped us off. They dropped us off and was like, we'll be back to get you, you know, mm-hmm. um, so we had to stay. It was, Uber wasn't around at the time. We didn't know where we were going. Uh, we didn't know really where we were. So we just kind of, I guess, dived into it. And, you know, I remember we were holding hands and stuff. And, like, this, like, thing came over me and all this stuff. And so I didn't know what was really transpiring. But I don't find it, uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't a coincidence that then led me back to Temple, you know, two mm-hmm. years later mm-hmm. when I needed to transfer. So Interesting. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was a girl who came and stayed with us from Nepal when we lived in Jersey. And she was of the, her family were probably, you know, they were wealthy Nepalese. And um, she was going to school here in America. And my family at the time, but they still are, but was like extremely religious Christians, you know. But mm-hmm. they, my parents welcomed this chick in. They were great to her. And nobody tried to proselytize her or anything. They just kind of... We're just you know we all just lived our lives she was super great she was super nice and i remember we went to she took me i was really interested in her religion and her beliefs because she was extremely intelligent she was super articulate about her beliefs and it's just such a completely different world than what i had grown up in anyway we went to princeton new jersey together this uh, girl Pawana and i and we went to the hindu temple and it was closed at the time and she was so upset and we're kind of looking through the windows. It's all glass. You know, we're looking through the windows inside. She really wanted to get in, but they were cleaning the building. And um, I remember they were cleaning this, like, statue of, of like, Kalki or Vishnu or somebody. And I just turned to her, and I was like, oh, Pawana, they're, um, they're cleaning your gods. <laughs> Very <laughs> Very dismissively. I still feel bad about that because this this girl, like... (laughs) You're such an asshole. I was mocking her, you know, and I look back and I was like, dude, she had, like, definitely some wisdom. I mean, she was telling me stories about back in Nepal, you know, they have these temples, and she was saying, you know, they're up in the mounds or whatever, and they'll have hundreds and maybe thousands of pounds of gold just sitting out in the open. And I was like, don't people just steal that shit? She's like, no, nobody would ever do that. You know, it's just a completely Mm. different culture. They have some stuff figured out that we just absolutely Mm. just don't know. But it is of an, it is the world of metaphor and of these like visual representations of their beliefs. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, even just how permissive it's a, it's a really fascinating culture. Um, and I think there is so much to learn that we, like when you're in this Christian world, we generally have a super dim view of other cultures, but it's... Or the Western world, really. I mean, it's not even just Christianity. It's just sort of... I was even, yeah, that's one of the things of the we West, talked about. Know? That was one of the things we talked about, um, you know, when we were there uh, going to Machu Picchu on the hike. Um, right. My friend Monte is... Uh, uh, history savant um, mm. my friend Kalechi and uh, other friend Kalani are both Nigerian uh, one mm. being Igbo the other being Yoruba uh, my boy mm. Damien was a military wow. uh, cat um, that came you know his family came from uh, 
the military lineage. So we had a lot of really great conversations. And that's yeah. one of the things that we, we discussed about the Western philosophy on life and a lot of the ethnic, um, you know, whether you're talking about, um, you know, African cosmologies or what we were talking about with the Incas, it's about, you know, how they perceived the, the, uh, the world and how they perceive land and in the Western philosophy land and land is something that is to be owned and to be done with right. what you want. Whereas in a lot of other cultures, land is something um, that is to be used and to be shared. Um, right. So uh, it's, so it, it's, it's interesting kind of like how people, you know, uh, 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 approach things. Um, you know, I guess I immediately thought, about the, uh, I think it's a Twilight Zone episode, but the uh, it's called To Serve Man, where an alien comes down and it has this book, and it seems like this benevolent force, and it it gives mankind this book called To Serve Man, and this all the scientists in America are trying to decipher this book, and at the very last minute, the the alien tells him like the rest of us are going to come, you know, you guys need to decipher this book. The rest of us are going to come down, and we're going to live out this book on Earth. And the last, uh, the last scene of the show is the scientist discovering that to serve man is actually a cookbook for how the aliens are going to cook and eat humans. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, That's awesome. I think I have. A, is that I you said? That's a movie. It's a Twilight. I think Zone. it's a Twilight Zone. I'll look. You got to send me that. Send me that. Somebody email me that. I got to find that. I got to watch that. That's great, dude. I watched. Yeah, it's a Twilight Zone episode called To Serve I miss you. That's a thing, but just back to filmmaking, I miss I miss stuff like that about the movies that come out now. Mm-hmm. Like something like that just sounds like just a great opportunity to do something really fantastic on all levels of the cinematic process. And the, I just I miss that stuff. I watched an episode of The Twilight Zone, the original, with my boys recently, and my sons are ten and seven. And they hadn't seen any shit like this. And we watched the episode um, about Talky Tina, where this girl gets a doll that is actually alive, and it begins to tell the dad, who's a real dickhead, that she's going to kill him. And nobody else can hear the doll talking to him. And it's so creepy. Barely anything happens. The end of the episode, the doll, the guy is trying to get rid of the doll. The family's falling apart. They all think he's lost his mind completely. And... um, he, the last scene of it is he's walking down the stairs and he trips over the doll and breaks his neck as he falls down the stairs and that's the end of it. <laughs> so Whoa. the doll does wow. kill him. Dude, wow. my kids that's were wild. shitting their pants. I mean, this is it's black and white. It's all dialogue. Virtually nothing happens, but the writing is so pitch perfect and it really captures like these deep dark fears that we have. Dude, that's what I that's that that stuff you know, uh, going back in uh, when I was in film school, I really, I really, especially because so much of um, early cinema is not you don't see yourself. Right. Um, there was a lot of things that I just patently didn't want to watch. Sure. Um, and in retrospect, you know that was a mistake. Because now I can watch stuff and kind of put some of the, I can kind of watch it in a in a in a in a vacuum or some of the racist and all those things like they're less my concern and more like mm-hmm. let me try to get some of these techniques mm-hmm. um and and when you're i remember when i watched strangers on the train mm-hmm. um when i was in prep for directing dvd and chill and you're just like wait what the like nothing is happening 
But mm. like, <laughs> yo, this is how you handle suspense. Like, what are we mm. doing now? And like some of the stuff that mm. like you're like you're talking about now with the Twilight Twilight Zone, some of those other films they were so skillful at yeah. uh, at uh, at being able to craft a, a, a story. Um, and, and, and get a reaction, you know, from, from the audience, it's something visceral, whether that's an emotional or an intellectual response. And like, I miss that about filmmaking nowadays. Yeah. Like I see some of these, you know, really, you know, some stories have really great potential and then, you know, to go for the cheap, but I gotcha. Like, it's funny right. when I watch mm-hmm. horror movie trailers, it's mm-hmm. so much, so much of it is on a very specific rhythm. It almost feels like, a, it almost feels like I'm like freestyling or like a rap song mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, she's in the bed. And three, two, right. one, ah! Or right. three, two, one, faint, and then two, four, ah! You know what I'm saying? Right. And I'm like, yeah. some of the stuff I wanted to be on the offbeat, because then I'm like, then it plays with your expectations, where you're like, oh, snap, oh, wait. Because when I watch Strangers on the Train, I'm like, wait, so he's in the house, he, he's sneaking in, oh, snaps, it's a dog. The dog's going to mm. try to get him. Because, of course, mm. that's what happened in, you know, in, in, a, in a modern movie. But wait, so he creeps past this big-ass dog. The dog don't do nothing. He walks into the room. Oh, Snoops, the dude's got a gun. He gonna shoot. Oh, sh-. And then, basically, all that happened in this whole time period is he walked into the house. He had a conversation with the dude and then walks out. Mm. <laughs> but it's that's so all suspenseful, that, yeah. yeah totally but you're right. like, oh, my gosh. Because, again, there's all these feints that don't feel like feints because some of the takes are longer takes. Um, so you really mm-hmm. get a chance to, 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 like, live in it. Um but then, like I said, they don't go for the, all right, he's in the house. He's got to have a whole fight with the dog because that'll be a lot of action. But for some reason, the dude upstairs doesn't wake up, even though there was this big fight scene, fight scene downstairs with the mm-hmm. dog. And, like, you know what I mean? So it's, like, all these things yeah, that totally. I guess you, you'll suspend well, they just want disbelief set pieces. On. Yeah, totally. yeah. So I miss that stuff. So when, you know, like, I know when I saw Split, like, it was giving me some of those feels just because of James McAvoy's, uh, his performance was, was so, you know, phenomenal. But I get excited mm. when I see, you know, people taking those. Well, maybe they're not risks, but when people do those things from an acting perspective or from a cinematic perspective or from a sound design perspective, I'm like, yo, that's, whew, they're really, they're really going to town with this thing. Like Pan's yeah, Labyrinth. Right. I remember when I saw Pan's Labyrinth, I was like, yo, this dude is, who is this guy? This guy is, right. this is, so this is good. madness. So. Yeah. Rod Serling, who made the Twilight Zone famously, was a, a really strong social advocate. He he was adamantly opposed to racism and social equality. He had all these like really kind of modern takes on stuff, and he tried to incorporate these explicitly originally into the Twilight Zone. And they they made him take a lot of the stuff out. So he started to surreptitiously put them in. He still kept all that shit in there. He just, instead Mm. of it being, you know, a black guy versus a white guy, it was aliens versus the human race or whatever Mm. issue it was that he could slightly obscure but still get that message out there. And I think that's partly why. I mean, it's great writing. They're well made. But they also all have a very, a lot of them have a deep social message that's pretty obvious if you're looking for it. That's why they still hold up. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think we should call it uh, call it getting, getting long. But the beauty of it is, is that um, there will be plenty of other times to discuss various other things because uh, you know this is not like a one-time thing necessarily. I think we'll we'll plan to to get on again and talk, especially you know once the movie's out, we'll have plenty of time to talk about specifics of the movie. But um, at some point, Johnny, I do want to do an on-air kind of debrief 
of like our two perspectives of making the movie you know like i think that would be we've talked a little bit about that but i think that would be a super interesting conversation because you know i i i love that when you watched it that you were able to watch it as a viewer but then there's definitely you were one of the the craftspeople along with me and lots of other people who had a vision for what the movie could and should be and yeah I'm super excited to sort of that's part of what I love about this process of the podcast is letting people in on that kind of stuff as well because um it's such a movies are such a weird collaborative art you know they are. so they are. I'm excited they to are. dive into that next time yeah I can't wait so you guys keep me posted when you guys get some free time yep. yes um, I will be around and uh I don't know why that made me think of Morgan Freeman in seven where are you gonna be Somerset I'll be around Anyway. <laughs> What's Seven in the box? is such a great suspense movie too. Yes, um, I know yeah, we great, can't great, talk great. about it because Kevin Spacey's in it. But oh, maybe. he's canceled, I mean, right? Yeah, he's canceled. But maybe oh, yeah. some of the you know some of the wild shit he was doing in his personal life, maybe that made that character so right, right, wild and crazy. unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that like just side note that monologue he gives in the car. Mm-hmm. In, that monologue made me want to do films. Mm. I never. I, I saw. I saw that. I saw Seven in college when I was at Temple. I think my first. Yeah, my first year I was there because I was living in the transfer house, and I. I wanted to. I wanted to act because of that character and That's that. Awesome. Uh, and that scene, especially with where the writing took it, and mm. I, I'll never forget. Kevin Spacey had that moment where he said, "I can't wait for you to see. I really can't." Oh, and Oof. to be able to do to do because like he had something brewing and as effortless as it was and Brad Pitt is doing all his stuff and blah 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 and you know a woman you know and it, you know of course we talk about the social commentary a woman so ugly on the inside she couldn't bear to be you know uh, right. unbeautiful on the outside right uh, only in a world this shitty can we call these people innocent and keep a straight face you're just like I was like, as a young person, I was like, what is, what is this? Yeah. What is, epic? what is this? And then he mm. just looked at, I, I've, I've never had a moment, a moment like that in my life where somebody's talking that good shit and you say, I, I can't wait for you to see. I really mm. can't. I, I, that's some, if somebody said that to me on the street, I'd be like, all right, something, shit, my car about to blow up or something, <laughs> shoot, some. I can't, I can't move the same. So right. <laughs> looked at me like that and said that to me. I'm gonna be on, I'm gonna be on pins and needles. It was funny because Kevin Spacey read that and he said, "I don't even have to act. This is actually me." Uh, yeah, uh, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Zay had a cousin, uh, I think, who got uh, who got groped by him, didn't you say? Uh, I don't think he ever got groped, but he was heavily pursued. Yeah. Hep- <laughs> Um, pursued. He tried That's to get him to go on an RV trip with him to South oh. Carolina, and Archie was like, "Nope." Archie, yeah. Archie was not six doing that. At the time. Admittedly, <laughs> this was before anyone knew what was going on. Admittedly, all of us we we were all texting about it, and we were all like, "Archie, just take one for the team, go on the road trip." I'm really kind of. I know. I we yeah we were out, we were de- at that point we were pretty sure there was something weird going on, but um. Anyway, uh, anyway, sorry to end this on Kevin no. Spacey, but no, it's okay. Um, My bad. I think the, the real no, 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 it's okay because I think you know what you made me think of with that. Two things: one, early in the show, John told a story about taking his kids to Central Park, and there was a box, and it said, "Don't look in the box." 
and mm. we made a whole bit out of it, and there was <laughs> not a head in the box. I forgot Next, about that. Yeah, that man, we've been doing this a while. And then second, Johnny Ray, I think what you were saying about you know that monologue made you want to act in films. Um, I think that's such a cool perspective to have because I, I think I had that moment with a few things like The Life Aquatic and, and other moments where I was like, I want to make movies. And I think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm sure you do too as a filmmaker and an actor is like, why am I doing this? You know, mm. why am I putting this much damn work into this? And I think the answer for me is because when you really do it well, people have that type of experience with stuff. They say, yeah. I understand something or someone or myself differently or better. And it makes you think and, and, and it inspires people. Right. And my newest kind of theory is that great film reminds us what we're living for. And I think tragedies like Seven remind you what you're living for because of the prospect of losing it. But I think, you know, inspiring movies can remind you what we can be. Like going to Machu Picchu does the same thing. It's like this is yeah. what we could be doing if we stopped fighting each other. We could be building incredible civilizations. Not that they were perfect either, but we could be – this is what humans are capable of. And I think – that to me is what movies can do is they can say like yes they remind you what you're living for why you're putting in the work why you are living here so i agree 100 percent. i think that's a that's a very that's a very usually i just say i love it but um and i've always like i said i've always loved storytelling but that's that moment i felt when i remember when i cried on a movie for the first time when i saw all dogs go to heaven mm. um, oh yeah I, I ran downstairs Classic. and my mom was cooking and i she i was distraught and then the time I had, you know, Braveheart when I saw when mm. Mel Gibson cried freedom at the end of that movie. Mm. Um, and I'll never forget my dad and my little brother were actually playing on the couch. Um, um, and I was under the covers watching it and I was crying because I didn't want them to see that oh, I was, wow. uh, that I was mm. crying when I saw that. Um, I think of Katsumoto in Last Samurai. Um, one of the greatest, one of, one of, one of my favorite performances, I think maybe my, uh, probably the best on-screen death I've ever seen um, from mm. Ken Watanabe. Um, mm. You know, Malcolm X, of course, um, mm. at the end, um, that Spike Lee is able to, to capture. So for me, there's I've had some very powerful experiences with, with, with film. Um, and I, 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 I wish more of the stuff that comes out in the mainstream had that quality to it. You know, whether... Like it, like for me, I'm all, I'm kind of a realist. Like if I'm gonna, that's why I like The Dark Knight so much, even though it was a superhero film. Like I'm like, if you're gonna show it, if you're gonna do a movie about World War Two, right? Do the movie, right, do right. Saving Private Ryan, do the movie, mm -hmm. so that when people watch this, they say, oh shit, this is not some CBS version of what was going on. This is what transpired, and probably mm -hmm. times ten. So mm -hmm. maybe we shouldn't do this again. You know, right. yeah. um, that's so true. You know. I saw Saving Private Ryan in the theater with my dad when I was a kid. My dad did not go to movies almost ever. And I remember they show the all the kids on the beach just getting ripped to shreds. Ripped to shreds. And there's a kid who's laying there. His guts are spilling out and he's calling out for his mom. And I was so shocked by this. I was way too young to see that movie. But I looked over at my dad 
and he was I'd never seen him cry and he was crying dude it right. shook mm. me up I mean it was a powerful scene anyway but powerful then to see movie. him my dad just like weeping over there man it was oh hard. man I'm thinking you guys are that that moment makes me think of when I saw I went and saw Fruitvale Station by myself mm. um, and I saw it at the Arclight and I had a moment like that um, towards the end like I just remember I, I feel like I feel like my teeth were going to uh, crack mm. because I was clenching my jaw so hard because I was trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. And I thought the thing that Ryan Krugler did so well with that film is he made it he made it feel like there was this impending doom, this thing that was going to happen that you couldn't escape. Like because everybody knew the story of of Oscar, and so you knew it was coming, but you right. still felt this like doom. And I because when I was in high school. Um, I won't say his, his his name, but he was shot by the police. He was shot in the back. He had mental health problems, and he mm. was shot in the back uh, with a shotgun by Portland police. Shh. And so I was thinking about that, and I was weeping. And I don't mean crying. I mean I was weeping. Mm. Right. I had never had an experience like that in my life. Mm. And the people next to me, um, and this was also one of the most weird, awkward, intimate moments I've had. I... I felt this hand and it was a hmm. guy. I found out it was a gay couple after I had left. We wound up speaking about a whole bunch of stuff for a long time after the film, but he just put his hand on my thigh hmm. and it was, and again, if someone touches your thigh, <laughs> like that's, right. that's a, that's, it's very, int- and it's funny because I had this moment. I'm like, what's happening? Thank right. you. Like, and I, I've never had any experience hmm. like that. Um, in the movie before somebody you know because again when you watch films it's almost like taking it back to the campfire you know around the various cultural fires of people telling mm-hmm. stories and you having this collective experience um, mm-hmm. some of the best movies that I've seen almost garner a, a theater like atmosphere um, mm-hmm. where people are dialoguing with the screen or having a conversation um, whether that's you know things like 12 Years a Slave or even if you have you know certain comedies the way people interact with it but it, he touched my thigh and just patted my thigh he's he, he saw I was having an experience and I said mm-hmm. afterwards I told him thank you very much because I didn't expect to, to go there but that's what film can do when you mm-hmm. when you do it the right way um, whether that's something incredibly inspirational um, or, or, or incredibly beautiful um, whether that you know be a comedy that you know people are going up to Machu Picchu and they have this you know these moments of camaraderie or what have you or if it's something completely visceral and terrible like Saving Private Ryan because I see that and I'm like yeah, I, I'm like 9.9 times out of 10 saying war is not really something I'm interested in doing. <laughs> right. Uh, I could talk that shit out because I'm sorry. I don't want to be on a beach with my guts hanging out and me crying for my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when, you know, if 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 what we're fighting for isn't isn't something that, you know, we should be dying for because life is precious. So, mm-hmm. but that's, like I said, that's the power of film. And that's why I look at certain directors, whether it's Anton Foucault or Steven Spielberg or Alfonso, mm. or you go down the list of mm. these really great directors. When they when they do certain things, they do it for real. And you say, mm. "Yo, this is this is lit," and it and and and, and it, it inspires people. It it scares people. It makes people want to be better. All those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that. Like I said, that's the power of the medium, especially because it is such a collaborative process. So, you know, with score, sound design, the actors, the director costumes you know all that stuff yeah i saw the emoji movie recently i've been using my phone like crazy ever since huh (laughs) oh emoji (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry to end it on a terrible oh, joke, wow. but I think uh, that's, that's how we should joke. conclude. What's your favorite emoji? <laughs> oh, I have one. Johnny, I always use the uh, Greek flag. John, why don't that's, you go first? I just use the Greek flag like crazy. Ah. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Johnny? Johnny Ray? I kind of like the doo doo emoji. No, oh yeah, of course. The doo doo one's so good. Um. I am currently, I have for a while, I've replaced the thumbs up with the pizza slice. Okay. Because mm. who doesn't love pizza? It's just sort of like, yep, pizza. Like, we're good. Pizza. I'll see you at I, six. Pizza. You know? I also use the one, it's of the It's of the hand where the, the, the woman is doing the nail polish. Right. Oh. So I'll, always yeah. use, I'll use that one. So if something's, you know. How do you know it's a woman, Johnny Ray? Because it's got nail polish. Looks like pointy nails. That's mm. true. They do have very feminine looking hands. Um, I wish there was a male one uh, painting his nails because I would probably use that one. That one's probably better. <laughs> um, we should petition the emoji people to make one. Well, okay, so this has been great, Johnny Ray. Excited to have you back soon. Um, cool thanks beans. For we'll make it happen. Dude, great talking. All right, it's my Ray. pleasure. This was a good time. Thanks for. Uh, let me have a very reflective and beautiful morning. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, same. Good. Well, real. thanks for going there with us. We like to get. Uh, we we don't like the small talk, you know, except oh, for emojis. Um, like I said, in there like swimwear. <laughs> <laughs>